This is a bonus episode rather than a sermon because for Candlemas in 2021, we went to St. Nicholas's Church, North Lopham, and tried something a little bit different. Rather than having a sermon, my training incumbent, Canon Tony Billet, and myself had a conversation about the passage instead of a sermon. So what you're going to hear is me reading the story, followed by a discussion about it, ending with a short prayer. I am Samuel S. Thorpe, and you are listening to a bonus episode of From the Pilgrim Path. Let us hear the story of Candlemas from Scripture, from Luke chapter 2. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of eighty-four. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer, night and day. At that moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favour of God was upon him. For the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Well, now normally you would be expecting quite reasonably to have a, a, an address or a sermon extolling the virtues of this great story. But today, something a little different, an opportunity for everybody to have a, a little private window into what goes on between a training incumbent and a curate. What probably most people don't know, but um, actually every week, well, nearly every week, uh, since uh, Samuel um, has been with us, um, he's always come to the rectory for about an hour and a half once a week to reflect on everything he does and experiences. And, um, well, let's, let's begin by observing what goes on between the two of us, and, well, you can make of it what you will. Well, Samuel, Samuel, I wish I can get your name right. It's only been three years, but I'm still getting it wrong. Today is Candlemas Sunday, and I know you don't need to, to tell you what the story is about because you've just read it for us yourself. But tell me, uh, why do you think it's right that the church encourages its members to not only remember this story every year, but to seek meaning in it for their spiritual lives. Mm. Well, I think it's a very rich story, which has a lot to commend it to us. So we could look at it from a whole range of different angles. We could look at it as the word of Simeon, saying that by this scene, by the sign which Jesus is going to be, the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. So we have a question, what are our inner thoughts when it comes to who Jesus is? We also have this sense of it concluding the Christmas season. We have a turning towards Lent. But I think it also anchors us in the Old Testament, and that's something that's very important for us to hold on to, because this is soaked in the fulfilling of the law of Moses, bringing the turtle doves and the pair of pigeons. It's filled in doing all things in all righteousness and dedicating Jesus to the Lord. So that brings in with it all of these promises that people have been waiting for. And as we think about the promises that people have been waiting for, we encounter these two marvellous characters, which we've heard your quite well-written voices, um, read very ably this morning, of Simeon, Simeon, and Anna, and they have been waiting a long time. And it's here that we find two heroes of faith who are heroes not because they have gone out like the judges and slain many thousands of people with unlikely tools, whether it be a donkey's jawbone or knocking over a temple as Samson did, but actually they're heroes because they trusted God, and they trusted God and they trusted God, year in and year out, waiting for something they believed they would see, but hadn't seen yet. And by doing Candlemas every year, we have a sense of repeating this theme of waiting as we ourselves grow older, as we ourselves continue to watch for God. And so I think well, that's something that I find tremendously rich about Candlemas. How do you find it? 
Well, I, like you, I find it speaks to someone, in my own case, getting old. You've got many years still to, to enjoy youth. I didn't want to say anything no, no, too no, direct. No no, 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 I knew that that was coming. And uh, of course, it's very easy in the world we live to, and particularly I have to say in the church, that the only thing that matters is young people mm -hmm. and families. Virtually all conversations I've had throughout my entire ministry have been people bemoaning the fact that there are not lots of young families anymore. And yet this story, perhaps more than any, reminds us that these people who are, shall we say, in inverted commas, past it, um, have actually still got some wisdom to share in the world. Mm. And one of the things I feel profoundly about this story, perhaps more than any other, is that it encourages us, uh, because let's be honest, most, most of us are of a certain age who gather for church week in, week out. There you are. I've offended you this morning. Uh, that, that actually we have such a lot still to give, mm. such a lot to proclaim, and, and we don't need to leave it to the young. But let me just move the story on a bit. But on that, it's not just the dignity of those who are older having wisdom. And it's not just the you know, importance of bringing young children and families into the church. It's the connection between the two. It's Simeon and Anna as these older voices, these older examples of faith, who surround Mary and Joseph and Jesus and bring them into a sense of your child is the promised one. And I think that that's something we need to hold on to. It's not just that faith is good for those who are older, but it's that your faith is of immense value to those who are younger. And you need this interconnectedness between the two. One of the things I've noticed that it, it, in the voice that we heard from Simeon, it was clear that he was quite used to hearing God's voice speaking to him. Do you think that that is still a common experience today? I think yes, and I think that there are certainly instances where people hear from God in a very profound and actual way that can change their lives. The question then becomes, can we all hear God all the time as if he's on the telephone to us, like our neighbor or our friend, or, um, you know, I call my mum once a week and we have a good catch-up. Is it like that when you hear from God? Well, I don't think so. And I had someone once who was very inspirational to me as I was training for um, studying theology. And he had one moment in his whole life where he felt sure that God existed. And that sustained him throughout the rest of his life and the rest of his ministry. He was a very successful Baptist preacher. And I think that what we have to remember is that although God cares for each of us individually, we as individuals find ourselves within the church, the community together. And it's not so much that God speaks to one person and does not speak to another person, but whenever he speaks to one person, it always has a wider benefit for the wider community, for those around them. And so I think that God does still speak to his church in a variety of ways. And some of you may have been fortunate enough to hear God's voice, or to have a profound moment where you are reassured or given hope or something has happened that has bolstered you in your faith. And yet out of that, 
through your faith being an example to others, through the clergy preaching and through devoting ourselves to scripture, we can see more glimpses of God, more often than some people perhaps give credit. Mm. What do you think? Do you think that God is silent now? Or? No, I certainly don't. Uh, but it's it's about um, individuals recognising um, when it is God is speaking. And, mm. and to that extent, I, I want to remind everyone watching um, some very useful words that you mentioned last week in your very good sermon on the the story of Jesus turning water into wine. Um, you said at, at one point that our task is to bring our water to God and God will make it wine. And that's a very symbolic idea. And of course, the problem is so many people take it literally, but actually it has a profound spiritual message, doesn't it? As you illustrated last week. And I, and, and I think... Um, for me, I see this going on all the time. The ordinary things, the ordinary things that we just simply take for granted are hugely significant. They're God-significant. But we kind of think, oh, no, no, for it to be God-significant, it's got to be terribly religious or um, very pious. But actually, if we believe, as Christians do, that we are... Um, we are to enjoy God's creation and to enjoy the fact that we have life itself, let alone the world, then we are already mightily spoken to by this great designer of, yeah. of everything. I think that there's a, a comparison I often make. And people seem to think that hearing from God is always like Paul on the Damascus Road. There's a blinding light and you hear a voice and it's very distinct. And Paul was very important in the early church, but so was Peter. And yes, Peter was with Christ and he was a witness to the resurrection. But it all began when Jesus caught some fish, which Peter did. He was a fisherman. It was a very natural, very earthy, very physical, tangible, ordinary event. And I think that when we over-glamorize the Pauline experience and forget the Peter experience, then we do a misservice. But equally, we shouldn't close out the possibility of having something more dramatic happen. Mm. But I like what you're saying. It's the ordinary things, like the bread and the wine, or like the water of baptism. Ordinary symbols. But with God's presence, are so much more than that. Mm. And of course, um, people have heard me say this in the past. I'm greatly fond of using the, the beautiful uh, little... Um, Galanthus, i.e. the snowdrop this time of year, it grows particularly for Candlemas time, which is why the English called it Candlemas bells. Mm. And people would in the past have collected them and taken them to church and put them in the church as, as a thanksgiving. But the, the thing about the snowdrop is that you can so uh, lose the, the wow factor that they have to understand them, you've got to get right down on your knees and look up into the snowdrop and you see the incredible intricacy and beauty of snowdrops. Uh, um, and yet it is true that most of us miss this all the time, just take it all for granted. But this is loaded with God moments. Um, and I suppose you and I as preachers want our congregations primarily to realize uh, that, that they can be as theological as we are. 
um, and and can recognize God all the time, every day, lots of times each day, working in their lives. Which leads me on to perhaps um, one of the last points for this morning. It's incredible to think that you've been here for nearly three years. Yeah. It's extraordinary that, yeah. isn't it? I don't know where the time has gone. Conscious, of course, that sadly you will soon be starting to look to move on uh, and find a parish of your own. Um, I must ask the question, how helpful do you think your time has been being here with, well, let's be honest, everybody, including, I include myself, people of a, a considerably greater age than yourself. Um, have you, uh, has it been what you hoped for or has it actually been a bit of a disappointment? Hmm. I don't think I would say that it's been a disappointment, but I also don't know that it's been what I hoped for. It's been very interesting for me because my dad is a vicar and I've grown up in a church. I sort of kind of knew what to expect, but nothing prepares you for actually being in the middle of doing everything. Uh, the whole first year being a deacon and learning how to do my first funerals and then being priesthood and then straight away learning how to do weddings and all of the things that go alongside preparing families for each of those moments. And also the, the rhythm and the, the duty and the expression of worship and prayer that comes from the position of not just receiving, but leading, particularly in the Eucharist, sort of being able to help people encounter God. You can imagine it, but the words aren't quite right when you get there. So it's not as I expected, but it's not been a disappointment. I think, in a sense, the strength of it all has been, and I don't mean this in an offensive way, it's been the ordinariness. In a sense, we're not exceptional churches. We've not got a dazzling model or a dazzling feature. But we have got a lot of good, decent people working together to keep our buildings open, to enable worship to happen, challenging the issues which we are facing. And being in the midst of that has been incredibly helpful. And it's given me an experience, particularly through conversations with yourself and with John. I think that I've now got a good basis to not go somewhere and completely mess it up. But I'm sure that I'll have lessons to learn along the way still anyway. Indeed, I think that's surely a, a message that is true, that we, we all tend to mess it up from time to time, even when we're in our in our dotage well and it's been it's been just let me say a real joy actually having the experience of yourself and john because there's been many times where i've been able to view a phone call or we've talked in supervision or i've sent john a text or just popped by and said so when it comes to this and that how do i make sure for instance when it comes to bands and weddings and the technicalities or i've got a difficult situation here how do i handle this to be able to have the wisdom of your combined experience in ministry has been a real blessing in a similar kind of way as to our theme of Candlemas today. Absolutely, I'm, I'm sure that must be true. And of course, we've had the wisdom of youth given to us. Um, uh, and that that's really important that you've made your own contribution. Much of what we do this morning in terms of the technology um, is completely down to you. And we're, we're very grateful for all that you've brought as well. 
This is a wonderful story, the story of Candlemas, because it is the presence and the interaction of the old and the young, the former religion and the new religion. Um, it's a linchpin, and of course, as you alluded to in an earlier answer, um, this is the turning point, the linchpin, from moving away from Christmas, which has been happy and jolly and, and a lovely time, to, to starting to think about our Lord's passion. Uh, because, yes, um, it is lovely to have the joy of new life and new birth and, and all the prospect of the future. But also, in all of that, it is about good news in bad times. Yeah. The gospel of Jesus is not about good news, whoopee, ha ha, lovely, lovely. It is good news, but good news to live through bad times. And, um, and so our service will end this morning, as it always does on Campomas, by turning from the joy of Christmas to looking at what's ahead in the form of, of Lent, Holy Week, and then, of course, Easter. Well, Samuel, thank you for this morning. I hope everyone has enjoyed witnessing what may go on a bit in our time together. I'm going to leave you where you are um, uh, to lead us now in a time of prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that your son Jesus was brought to the temple to be presented to you. We pray that you may be with us in our hearts and bring us each week, each day, to present ourselves before you, to hear your voice in the scriptures, to know your presence with us, and to trust that you really are good news in dark times. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.